Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 27 minutes away from 11 here. You're on the Saturday session. Ben Francis filling in for Daniel McCarty to 11 o'clock. And as always, Grant Elliott alongside me. Uh, now it's time for Swinging Both Ways, thanks to PG Wrightson. PG Wrightson Turf, key suppliers to New Zealand cricket grounds. And Grant was starting off very simple. What about those white ferns, eh? Oh, if you had the uh, joy of watching that, I mean, if there was ever a dominant performance, well, that was it. New Zealand batted first, and it was an absolute uh, spectacle. Uh, obviously, playing against Bangladesh, they're weak. We know they're weak, but I think the White Ferns have got a lot to, a lot of points to prove, um, especially with the batting order and the way that they structure their batting order. Sophie Devine opened with Susie Bates. I guess that was the, probably the only thing on the night that didn't go well is that no one went on and scored a big one. Uh, Sophie Devine, 45. Susie Bates, 41. Opening partnership of 84. And then Amelia Kerr, Maddie Green and Leah Tahu finished the innings off to get 164 for three. They spoke about you know the coach saying that he wanted over 160. Well, they got that. And uh, Bangladesh uh, were put in and... They batted 14 and a half overs, but unfortunately, they could only manage 32 runs. And um, the plaudits there went to Leah Tahu, who got four wickets, uh, bowled magnificently. But I thought Hayley Jensen may have even been pick of the bowlers. A lot of movement through the air. She got three wickets. Fran Jonas, the young uh, left-arm tweaker, uh, two wickets for her. But um, you'd have to say four for six or four overs for Leah Tahuhu and had a, dr- a catch dropped by Maddie Green, who was the replacement keeper for her five-wicket haul. It was an absolute clanger. Um, but she, was, she would be disappointed with not getting five, but ecstatic that in front of her home crowd, she got four for six or four overs. And even more fascinating that she's obviously been left off the contract list at the start of the season. So uh, really nice to see her back in form. And I think... Just watch the White Ferns. Um, I will be commentating some of those games, but watch the the, the difference in um, batting orders and see if they that the structure that they use and combinations that they use because I think that that's where they've fallen over in the past. And uh, just some quick news out of the White Ferns. Uh, White Ferns batter Brooke Halliday has been ruled out of the remainder of the Bangladesh series with a hand injury, and they have called in. Uh, Rebecca Burns uh, for the remaining two T20s uh, in that squad. Uh, and moving on now, Grant, uh, Black Caps heading to Pakistan uh, later on this month. And at the moment, Pakistan are playing England. And uh, I, it's safe to say it's just holy hecka. England, 657 all out. Uh, they had one, two, three, four players with centuries, and they scored those 657 runs and 101 overs. Pakistan at the end of day two, 181 without loss. This is just a run fest. <laughs> it's an absolute run fest. The lowest uh, strike rate for England um, with anyone that faced over 40 balls 
was 74 and that was Joe Root. He was the only one in the top five to miss out. Joe Root got 23. It went Crawley, 122 off 111. Ben Duckett, 107 off 110. Ollie Pope, 108 off 104. And then Joe Root missed out. He got 23. And then Harry Brook came in and got 153 off 116. He also managed to hit uh, one of the spinners for six fours in a row. So all records were broken on their first day. And what was even um, more amazing about that is that they didn't even bat their full 90 overs. They were cut short by 15 overs uh, because of uh, uh, light. Bad light stopped play. So 500 plus runs on the opening day. And this is the these are all firsts, the first time in test history. And it was the first day in Rawalpindi. So 500 runs were scored in an opening day, and there were 15 overs short. Four batters scored 100 on the opening day. Three batters scored 100 off less than 100 balls in the same innings. One of the England batters, which was Harry Brook, had six fours off an over. And an England keeper batter scored 100 off less than 100 balls, which was Ollie Pope. So uh, huge uh, records broken. And obviously, uh, all due to the fact that we've got a Kiwi coaching the team. Brendan McCallum. Yeah, a bit of, bit of baseball going on. And this is something that we were going to discuss anyway, but Steve from Tauranga has uh, texted her, and this could be in a bit of a similar relation as well to New Zealand rugby with lots of people saying that why do we let our best coaches go overseas instead of keeping them here? Uh, Steve has made uh, one point about Baz and Stokes changing test cricket, but we just want to focus on the second part where he says, are New Zealand losing their top coaches in cricket to other countries too much? With McCullum, Patel with England, we have Daniel Vittori with the Aussie team at the moment. Uh, I think you mentioned a couple of others as well whose names just elude me, but uh, what is the deal with keeping our coaches here? Yeah, it's a good question from Stephen Taronga. Um, you know... I look at our coaches and just off the top of my head, you know, you've got Brendan McCullum who's coaching England and you've got Jeetan Patel who's uh, the spin bowling coach for England. Then Daniel Vittori, who I believe is the assistant coach in Australia. Uh, Stephen Fleming, IPL. Mike Hessen, Royal Challengers Bangalore, uh, director of coaching. Uh, James Franklin, I know, is in the T10. Um, the pathway in New Zealand, you've only got six major associations. And of those six major associations, there's six top jobs, top coaching jobs. Assistant coaching job, I'd say, probably um, it, it is getting up there in terms of pay. But let's say that leaves 12 genuine coaching opportunities in, in New Zealand. So I guess a lot of them are looking overseas. But I think what we need to do is we need to have a look at um, it's difficult to find a coach to commit for the whole year. Uh, even Brendan McCullum, he's a test batting coach, mm. but is given, you know, uh, salary times five um, compared to the coaches we have here. I think the only way that you can attract really good coaches in this day and age is by splitting the coaching. Um, and, and what I mean is by splitting that according to formats. So you've got your test batting coaching uh, team, and then you've, which allows them to then potentially go and do some of the T20s around the world if they want to. And then you've got your one days and your T20s, and maybe that can be a mixture. I think the one constant that you need is probably your director of coaching, uh, and that's someone that needs to almost be uh, um, your head coach or your manager, your football manager in a way. Um, and then below that, you have a head coach for each format. That way you might be able to um, 
not only get a, a salary that is attractive for someone, but also they're not stopping their whole life to coach international cricket, which is generally what happens. These coaches, they're in it for three years and they're traveling the world when they can do a T20 team um, and get paid probably twice as much for um, a quarter of the time during the year. So very difficult to keep our coaches here, but how can we get those coaches involved um, in the different formats? And you look at Fleming, uh, Vittori, uh, Brendan McCullum and Mike Hesson, they've all got experience in T20 cricket. How can we get that intellectual property into our T20 team who we know we do well, we're like top four team, but we're not the best in the world. Uh, you look at that England team, what are they doing that is making them exceptional at the moment? Uh, not only in their pathways, but maybe in the coaching side of it. So, um, yeah, good question from Steve there. Very interesting about all the coaches. And uh, as we touched on before, of course, the Black Caps heading to Pakistan later this month. Lots has been made about the pitch that they're playing on and whether that's going to be a similar pitch to what the Black Caps could be facing as well. But then it also comes down to, I believe, the cricket balls, because they're using is it, they're using different kind of cricket balls here. They're using the Kookaburra uh, cricket balls, which can be a little bit different to the, some of the other ones that they use. Yeah, no, you absolutely nailed it. So um, it's not only the pitch, but it's more the, the ball that they're using as well. So when you use the Kookaburra cricket ball, it's a softer ball. It's not as pronounced with the seam. And sometimes you'll hear the commentators talk about the difference between the Duke and the Kookaburra. In England, they use the Duke because the conditions are sometimes a little bit more moist. So because it's a little bit damper, um, the, it's, the ball has a lacquer on it. So the leather's a little bit harder. The seam is more pronounced which means that when someone like Jeetan Patel, when he came to New Zealand, he didn't spin the ball as much on New Zealand wickets, but went to England and he had the Duke ball, pronounced seam, softer sort of conditions, and used to rip it up. He was one of the um, Wisdom's top uh, cricketers of the decade because of that and got so many wickets in England. But it also swings through the air a lot. So I'm surprised they're using the Kookaburra because I know that when they did use a Kookaburra at one stage, and this is going back a long time ago. This is going back in the 2000, 2001. They trialed the Kookaburra in Pakistan. And there was a batter who made the test team called Waja Hatula Wasti. And I know that because I played against him in Ireland. I was in the leagues in Ireland. And Waja Hatula Wasti got nine hundreds in a row. Whew. And they were just pumping out hundreds, the, the Pakistan batters, because they were using the Kookaburra ball. What the Kookaburra ball does do is it reverse swings. So they'll be looking for reverse swing early on. I turned on the TV last night and uh, Leach was bowling already. So the fact that he was bowling, it was a second over, it tells you a lot about how they think the pace bowlers are going to be going. Uh, I think they'll be doing a lot of the graveyard shift um, in, in Pakistan. And New Zealand need to look at that and go, right, okay, well, how can we balance our team now? Because they do need to, to send out a balanced team. You think about our spinners. Ajaz Patel is one of them. Who's the other spinner that we're going to take? We will need two spinners. Or is it an all-rounding, uh, all-rounder spinner? We played Michael Bracewell in England. So it'd be very interesting to see the makeup of the team. And also maybe Pakistan, who are new to Test Match cricket ever since, um, obviously, uh, teams have started touring there again. So interesting to see how they change that pitch because 
one wants to watch test cricket like this. It might end up being an interesting game. Who knows? But at the moment, you've got Pakistan who are 100 and, from memory, 81. Uh, yeah, 181 uh, without loss. And Abdullah Shafiq and Imam Al-Haq are there, both on 89 and 90, respectively. So not going as quick um, as the England batters were. But, um, yeah, you'd look at that and you go, wow, okay. Well, there was um, more than 800 runs in two days, and they were cut short probably by about 30 overs in the second day due to bad light. I did hear uh, from a very reliable source that Ish Shodi is uh, working pretty hard to get back in that test team as well. Uh, sounds like he's pretty confident, and it sounds like there could be an outside chance for him as well uh, with how things yeah, are. I'd be su- yeah, I was surprised if he doesn't go. Todd Astle doesn't play four-day cricket anymore. Um, you do have uh, the other interesting one that actually comes to mind is uh, Rippon yep. from um, from Otago sending over a left-arm Chinaman. Now, I don't know what his red ball stats are like. I could search for those feverishly in the break. But, um, you know, just sending a spinner who's actually got – because you've got a left-arm spinner, left-arm ortho, which you need to right-hand batters, but then the left-arm wrist spinner – him and Sodi might be a very interesting choice or great opportunity for us to grow a, a spinner over there in subcontinent conditions. I mean, I've, I've played in Pakistan and, gee, the, the pitches can be dead, but they can also be quite lively. So I'd say the curator will be under a little bit of pressure putting some nice green grass on it when we head over there. Uh, that's all we've got time for with uh, swinging both ways. And believe me, there's plenty more cricket we could have spoken about, but we can save some of these topics for another week. Uh, swinging both ways brought to you by PGD Rights and Turf. PGD Rights and Turf premium suppliers of turf and seed and maintenance products to cricket grounds across New Zealand. Keep those texts coming through on double eight double three on who you would love to have a meal with. It could be someone dead or alive. Uh, this is paying our respects to Sir Murray Halberg, who passed away uh, sadly a couple of days ago. But coming up after the break, 13 minutes away from 11 o'clock, it is time for the Ocho.